0: I'm a celebrated skier, folks, and qualified to smirk. I've skied more hills than any man from Frisco to New York. But talking about the skiing I've done is my one
1: and only quirk.
0: Hi, this is Steve Peer. This is Legends of Aspen, and I've got some stories to tell.
1: Let's go into the beginning. You grew up in a musical household. Where was that? What was it like? And how different was it from where you ended up?
0: The musical household was, the foundation was my father, who was a traditional jazz artist and performed with the greats and the legends of the traditional jazz era. And he was a banjo player and when I was quite young, uh, I was invited to travel with my dad uh, and toured with many of his iconic contemporaries. And I was very, very young, and I got a pretty good taste of what the music industry and the entertainment industry was all about when I was 10, 12 years old.
1: That's an eyeful for a kid. Would you name some of the people that your dad played with that people might recognize? Well, the people
0: dad was associated with would have been uh, uh, in the Midwest, where we uh, we spent a lot of time. Dad had a compound in northern Minnesota where he traveled out of when he wasn't on tour. And... Uh, There was a fellow by the name of Doc Evans who was a brilliant, brilliant uh, traditional jazz cornetist. Dad also had associations, uh, quite a long-term association with Louis Armstrong. Uh, He was associated and well-regarded by one of the great guitarists and producers in the music industry, a guy named Eddie Congdon out of Chicago. So those were people that I had the pleasure of interacting with when I was quite young.
1: So why'd you pick up a horn instead of a banjo or a guitar or some other string <laughs> instrument?
0: Dad, Dad also, also uh, uh, was uh, quite a brilliant guy. Uh, he he was a teacher, and educator, and so people would come to him to uh, learn how to play. Uh, he did some amazing some amazing uh, things. Uh, he created a method of of, of of playing banjo or guitar that was picked up and used and is still used today. Uh, he also wrote books. But the reason that I picked up the trumpet was because I heard a lot of banjo and ukulele in my house as people were learning. And I didn't want to ever do that.
1: <laughs> so you had to pick something. Why that as opposed to a trombone, or be a drummer, or a clarinet, or? That's a good question. I think because
0: I was so close and dad was so close when we were quote-unquote home that uh, Doc Evans was a big influence and of course Lewis was a big influence and they just seemed like the guys who ran the show. And that seemed like a pretty good place to be.
1: So when did you start playing the trumpet? And how long after that did you realize the role it would play in your life? Talk to me about that.
0: Greg, when I was, when I was uh, about eight, I believe eight or nine years old, I uh, was given my first trumpet. And uh, it was pretty unusual. You don't sound too good when you first start playing trumpet. And... Uh, I remember working at it really diligently and uh, one day I heard the music and saw it in my head and figured that uh, that was about a year later, I'm sure much to the <laughs> chagrin of uh, my parents who had to listen to me howling away and playing this thing. Uh, and it all of a sudden things started to come together and uh, again I think you're... We're very fortunate, a lot of us, uh, to have musical talent that's passed down from uh, your family.
1: Um, so you play this. I mean, t- talked about your evolution with with the trumpet. Did you play in the high school band, or did you play at parties, or at, because it led to this life that you created for yourself here?
0: Um, I was invited to, i was uh, because of i'd been tutored from the time I was quite young because my dad traveled a great deal and my mom was home with my younger brother um, I had the opportunity when we actually would land someplace for a moment or of a few months to join a maybe a band okay so a traditional high school was not in my background. So I would pop into one high school in one town, high school in another town or something like that. And um, fortunately uh, I was well, well received and the first time I entered a band a high school band they gave me a uniform that was blue and orange. We proceeded to go to a football game where I immediately froze <laughs> the mouthpiece <laughs> to my face and that was it for me for marching band situation. So I immediately uh, with the help of the musical director of, of the, that particular school uh, applied for the orchestra and uh, it was a, it was a little different and a little more challenging and from that point on Uh, the trumpet became kind of a serious instrument to me. That was the first iteration, and I did play jazz uh, with wonderful young players, some of whom went on to become, uh, again, iconic figures that that played with some of the greatest players in the world.
1: So take us from there, this high school band and... How do you get to Aspen, Colorado, and what was it like when you when you got here what did did you come to stay or did you just wander in for a weekend?
0: No, it wasn't a weekend deal. it was a dedicated situation uh i was years i was a number of years ahead of everyone else in traditional schooling, and when I had the opportunity of skiing became something I really liked and when the opportunity presented itself when I was going to college, uh, getting my degrees uh, at the university, someone came and invited the band that I happened to have put together that was performing in the Twin City, Minneapolis, St. Paul area. uh, Would you guys consider coming out to Aspen and playing at a place called The Leather Jug uh, in Snowmass, Colorado? And I said, absolutely yes. And so we all came, we scrambled around. A lot of the guys couldn't come because they had other commitments. They had, they were old, most everyone was older than I was. Uh, but I said, I'm going. And so I rustled around and pulled some people together. Uh, another fairly well-known guy in the Minneapolis area and I co-produced the first band to come out here and open Snowmass. Uh, and so that combined with the skiing that I was well associated with because of my association with Stein Erickson and some of the Norwegian uh, contingent uh, was the perfect fit, and came out here, and that's how it started, and and that goes to a whole long other story. So you might you might want to figure out how you want to do this thread.
1: <laughs> well, talk about the leather jug. Talk about what. What you saw when you came in here was it an aha moment? Uh, did, did Did you just have fun and go back to the Twin Cities?
0: No, it was the best. It was the best gig you could possibly have. I mean, you skied all day, okay. Then you walked in and you had a full house to perform for Après Ski in a lovely venue. It wasn't the big open air stuff that you see now that it's just you know, uh, tons and tons of people. It was actually fairly well produced. And the first time we came out was with a quartet, and we actually lived in uh, uh, trailers. They didn't have housing in Snowmass at that time. And so we actually were in a double wide, (laughs) as I recall. And um, we had a ball. We just had a ball. So again, ski all day, ski with a few people, coach a few people and then uh, you still had the evening to yourself. So you could go into Aspen and partake of, the, of, the, uh, of that particular lifestyle at that time.
1: So was this the late 60s then? This um, would have been
0: late 60s, yes. The
1: talk about what Aspen was then, how you remember Aspen in the late 60s and uh, did your musical capabilities make maneuvering in the scene easier?
0: Um never been a scene guy um, uh, always preferred to create the situation rather than be in the quote unquote scene. Um, we were fortunate uh, at that time there were uh, syndicated national television shows uh, there was something called laugh in uh, and so at that time, you had people. Uh, and Lucille Ball was still a force in the in the uh, in the entertainment industry at that time. She and her husband, uh, uh, not Desi, but her second husband, Gary Morton, and we were performing in Snowmass, and uh, we, my partner and I, had encountered Lucille on the mall, and she didn't look very happy. And we said, "Well, you should just come to." one of our shows and we'll try to cheer you up." And uh, she came in and brought some of the of the uh, uh, talent and celebrity from that particular TV show, uh, from the Laugh-In show. Ruth Buzzi is one and uh, some other folks. And the next thing I know is we were launched uh, on a national and international level. And uh, we part We we, uh, employed that for a number of years, and the hardest thing was to get back to Aspen because I always wanted to just come back to Aspen. And so even though we were pretty actively on tour in those days, it was always great to come home.
1: What made Aspen home? Why? What was it that kept you here all these years? Skiing.
0: The skiing, and one of the greatest aspects uh, uh, and inducements of this community, of this of this area is that we have that 20 to 40 minutes away, you're in wilderness country. And yet you can come from wilderness country within an hour or less and have an incredible experience for dining or socializing or whatever you want to do. But if you wish to be gone and wish to be lost, you can be lost.
1: I could make the argument that you could do something similar in Steamboat or Sun Valley or some other Jackson, but they're different.
0: Well, the personalities in in the ski industry at that time, and we were uh, because the crossover between the entertainment and the skiing was actually quite uh, robust. And so uh, the, the the luminaries and, and great skiers who were gaining notoriety in that particular time period would have been Jimmy Huga and you know Billy Kidd. and and so Billy basically signatured uh, Steamboat Springs. So he had that gig. Stein Erickson basically kicked off Snowmass. We still had all the great uh, the great people uh, uh, from the 10th Mountain. Uh, But Stein was a thread, even though he was moving up north, he still was in Aspen a lot gathering investors and things of that nature. And uh, again, uh, tip of the hat to all the uh, folks from the Norwegian community who really did, and the European community, who really made this town a home.
1: I I feel like we're still missing something that makes Aspen, Aspen, that your an integral part of now that you felt when you came here. We if you stay in a place a long time, it's usually because you say when you get there, you know what? This is home. I, I and you talked about the wilderness, you talked about the city, and you talk I mean the town, you talked about the skiing, but to me it was there there were these personalities. We talked about Cooster earlier. There's yeah. Cooster, there's Guido, there's yeah. uh, it, well, you give had me, you had, you had
0: the folks from the Wiener Stube. You had Gerhard Meirisch, who's still with us, okay, and Hel- Helmut Schlosser, who founded the Wiener Stube. Uh, that this was the place, compared to all the other places that we were traveling to, that just was such a cohesive group of folks who lifted you up and encouraged you to do. Uh, other aspects of your life that perhaps you had not considered yet, which would would have been the hiking to the you know the fort, you know hiking to the top of mountains and and uh, and uh, possibly would even be considered somewhat extreme skiing at, at that particular time.
1: Aspen has uh, a history with music. We go back to Freddie Fisher. Uh, you're part of this continuum, but the Eagles were uh, sure. achieved notoriety here. Sure. The nitty gritty Dirt Band, John Denver, um, and what what? Why is that? What is it that I don't think Steamboat can say that, or Vail can say that, or I don't think Sun Valley can say that? What?
0: This is a nexus. This is a nexus of a lot of things in on the planet uh, uh, currently. Uh, we seem to be known more for real estate than we are for entertainment. Uh, but uh, uh, the the people that and everybody was working in those days. Okay, the Eagles were you know they had had some stuff going on, but this was a place that people liked to come because all the entertainers were in the mosh pit, right? We had uh, the the uh, aria at the Aspen Inn had some of the f- most fabulous talent of the time. You had, you had uh, luminaries like uh, uh, Stan Kenton with his band playing. Okay, So Stan, Stan is playing up the street, and we've got a seven-piece band playing at the, at, the, at the Red Onion on stage. And there was this great interaction. And then, the, then you had threads like a guy named Walt Smith. Who was extremely well loved locally uh, was a, he was an absolutely delightful guy and a terrific piano player musician, and just a wonderful guy and Walt kept it going uh, at and this goes back to the tippler days and so in the afternoon of the tippler you would have you would have a jazz trio or quartet performing and so if I was doing the gig at the Red Onion with my band, I could go and go see Walt and sit in with those guys. And if they wanted to come and sit in with us, and whether it was Joe Close from Las Vegas, who was one of the greatest conductors in Las Vegas ever knew, who also played the Red Onion, if he was in town, he'd come and join us. That's the way the town was. And we also had some really crazy people. Uh, We certainly had had folks that... uh, (laughs) That uh, uh, wouldn't be considered in the jazz idiom at all, but again, you're you're probing for nitty gritty. Uh, We still are fortunate enough to have some of those people around. Um, uh, Nitty gritty, fantastic band uh, Starwood Homebrew was also shared the stage, uh, the stage schedule with us, Uh, and when they launched their careers. And some of those guys are, you know, have been through here. And I know you've interviewed, uh, I think you've interviewed Bobby Mason. And uh, there's Brian Savage, who's still very, very active touring, who was part of that band. Uh, and some of the other fellows went on to do business ventures and did very well here.
1: So I'm going to go at this a little bit different way. Um, why so the Eagles came here, but and then Henley had a home and John Oates had a home and uh the nitty gritty uh Jimmy stayed, right? Uh but again it's what what's the magnet here? What
0: well I think it's different for anyone. Uh for me, I love to ski. <laughs> you know that. I love to ski, right? I'm on the hill. 70 to 90 days a year. Yeah. I love to ski. And uh, that was what kept me coming back, plus the relationships, obviously, that I uh, was able to uh, foster in those, uh, in those uh, years.
1: Tell me about the horns.
0: The horns, okay. This one, is uh, it's a binge. It was, uh, it was uh, handmade... Originally, uh, back in Chicago, back probably somewhere in the 40s, uh, it's been beat up, run over, remade, uh, and it's, uh, it's more of a brilliant instrument. It's used for uh, when we're really punching stuff, uh, horn section stuff, bright solo stuff. This instrument is uh, an Antoine Cottoir, that's a, also a very, very special instrument. It's a flugelhorn. The flugelhorn was, uh, was uh, employed because Napoleon felt that he needed a different sound than a bugle. And uh, that was the inception and the creation of the flugelhorn, which has a totally different sound than a bugle
1: or a trumpet. When you play, is this a, a town that's, a good audience. Talk about that. Talk about think, Aspen as a place to perform.
0: Yeah, I think. I, well, I, I, again, I, I, it's not just uh, specific to Aspen. It would be specific to any performing venue. For example, if you're, if you're, if a friend of yours, say, my friend Greg, invites us to come and perform at a stand-up cocktail party, you could, you could have uh, Bocelli there in this town and people wouldn't even know it. Because he could sing his brains out and people wouldn't be listening. However, if you set the venue and key it right, you can create a tremendous moment. And we have that opportunity from time to time. Aspen has uh, two performing venues currently. You have Belly Up, which is great. Actually, I don't want to take anything away from what they're doing at the at Little Nell and the Art Museum either from the Jazz Aspen uh, uh, events and certainly the Wheeler Opera House. But those are, from a performer's point of view, that's where you want to be. Okay, You don't want to be at the cocktail party unless you're at the cocktail party, not performing there.
1: So talk about what feelings you get when you go into the... The Wheeler Opera House, and a place that was oh. built, you know, 140 years ago, and and there you are, and you kn-
0: yeah. Well, I mean, to to see a show there, uh, whether it whether it be comedy or whatever it is, is a delight because again, the history, uh, they've got it pretty well dialed in now on stage. Uh, uh, I had the pleasure, along with some of my great colleagues, that I currently perform with here uh, in the Aspen area to do a show at the Wheeler, and it was fantastic. Again, it was one of those things where you walk on stage and people are going, oh, okay, we're supposed to listen.
1: What I've seen you perform at Casa 2, I've seen you perform at uh, Bosque, uh, and you have a natural rapport with with the people. You, Everybody becomes part of your Performance, or you become part of their uh, their social engagement.
0: Yeah, I think part of, uh, and again, most of the credit goes to the gentlemen I have the privilege of performing with because they they're great players, all of them. Uh, and when you have the confidence that you can engage. And you have to break down the barriers in in, a lot of the venues. Casa Tua would be a specific venue that you would definitely need to break the barrier because if all you're going to do is sit up there and play without some kind of interaction or interactive dynamic, you're not gonna have an audience. They're basically gonna just continue to do what they do and it may roll into dancing and whatever it is and you've basically lost the crowd. The idea is to break that barrier, walk out. Many times, uh, I know, Greg, you've seen this, Uh, you don't use a microphone. You walk out and you actually sing without a microphone. Or play, just walk out in the audience and play. Break the barrier down because it is not a formal performing venue. And that's what we deal with here in Aspen. And two of the other performers who are working at other uh, uh, venues here in town that probably have that same situation, you know. If, uh, whether it be at uh, uh, Los Doria, uh, where I have there's guys who've been playing down there forever. I mean, there's in a corner, you know. It's just it's not really conducive to to an entertaining venue. And as a performer, that, that's that's a huge thing. You got to break the barrier down.
1: Is there a favorite song you might that you love to sing that? Is evocative of your Aspen feelings.
0: <laughs> you do this all the time. Um,
1: these.
0: I'd love to do one of these live, with the band, okay, and we can do anything from, from, Phantom of the Opera to. F- you know, Van Morrison, all right? But as far as, as far as songs that actually work, if you're just going to open your mouth and start singing, you know, of, I think the town may respond. When somebody loves you, it's no good unless they love you all the way. You know, <laughs> that's the way it's got to be.
1: <laughs> you love Aspen all the way? All the way. All the way. Tell me a little more about that.
0: Uh, it's just uh, been a rich, rewarding experience. Uh, the music and the skiing propelled other business interests that have been wonderful uh, as a life experience. Uh, in, as far as growth and relationships and uh, anything else that uh, is, you know, relative to embracing a place that we all know and love.
1: What, what's changed in your mind in the time you've been here? What, what's, what's better now? What do you miss now?
0: Nothing. Nothing's changed. The town changes. The reasons I came here have never changed. The town goes through phases. Town, you know, we swing this way, we swing that way. But the reasons that many of us came here and stayed is exactly the same. It's a wonderful place to be, raise a family, uh, and enjoy uh, this incredible environment.
1: Nothing's changed for me. Does anybody else have a question they'd like to ask? Is it just you and I? Oh, Elaine, you got a question you'd like to ask? What's the one question Greg didn't ask you that you'd like to answer? Oh, thanks, Darn. Well, Greg,
0: pretty much dug in there pretty well. Um, I, I think he's. I think it's pretty well covered. I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm. I feel very privileged. And at, at the one question I guess would be, is thanks. But why me? There's so many other folks who have so many wonderful stories to tell. I hope the stories keep coming.
1: That's great, Lane. You got you got any questions you'd like to ask? You want to talk about your life in real estate a little bit? No. No. Keep it to music and well, it's it's
0: skiing and music, uh, real estate. as most people know I'm a pretty low-key guy when it comes to all that and uh... it's been very successful for me but it's uh... it's not uh... anything that it's it's uh... something that kinda goes along with having wonderful relationships for many many years here as certainly lane can uh... relate to that's what it takes you have to build relationships trust and uh... confidence and uh... uh... if you do that You'll just do fine, and whatever you do.
1: I'd like you to recount the crazy days of Ozzy, or whatever his name. Ozzy Osterwald. Yeah, Ozzy Osterwald, and it, because I think that's sort of a, a part of Aspen's musical past that is is worthy of, of
0: It's totally worthy. Um, so set the scene. We go back. We go back. Okay, so we go back now. Uh, this would this would be in the. Uh, late 70s, or mid-70s. And a gentleman by the name of uh, Hazi Osterwald, a Swiss guy, who had... He was essentially, for people who are familiar with great trumpet players and great band leaders, Hazi was uh, like the Doc Severinsen of Europe. And he had a six, five- or six-piece group that, he, that Werner Kuster, who owned the Red Onion would bring over. And typically in that time period, hazy 's band, we would bookend Hazy typically. I'd come out here for four or five weeks and we'd play the Red Onion. And Hazy would be either before or after us all the time. So we all became very, very well acquainted. hazy 's band was a variety show. Uh, The players were magnificent, lots of, again, lots of uh, vocals, lots of interactive. Uh, It was a show. And uh, our, our, our organization also was interactive and quite dynamic and entertaining. So we all got along, and of course, as one would think, we went over there to play in his clubs and... (laughs) <laughs> it was a great relationship. But again, that goes back to the Red Onion. Uh, uh, we had restaurants here that I'm sure, Greg, you remember. Uh, the Golden Horn uh, was originated by Klaus Christ. Um, uh, the Red Onion, of course, was Werner and uh, Arnold Sen and then uh, uh, Jim Perry. Uh, and then following, uh, there was the Aria uh, uh, at the Aspen Inn. Uh, with Nasser. Uh, This was was a mecca for international and national talent to come to perform. And you didn't have to make a big deal. There was entertainment here six and seven nights a week with variety performers of national and international talent. That we do not have. Now. Why? What happened? Budgets, changes in uh, the hotel industry uh, originally launched uh, these types of programs and, uh, and then business became so good it wasn't really necessary. Entertainment should always be considered by uh, hotel companies and always has been considered by, entertain- uh, by hotel companies as an accommodation to the guest. And it's usually wound into, in the larger hotel corporations, it's wound into the uh, marketing budget. There's no specific uh, budget for entertainment. So uh, that, that particular part of Aspen has, has shifted, that uh, paradigm has
1: shifted. So we've ended the show, the credits are rolling. Play us out to black. <laughs>
0: Well, let's see if this thing still works. No, this is it's a little tricky. When I was just learning how to do all this stuff, the uh, masters, who really were kind enough to give me a little helping hand, would say, you can't really sit all hunched up to play. You have to kind of... <sighs> and of course, performing or playing at... 8,000 feet is a little more interesting than performing or playing at sea level. (laughs) Fade to black. Fade to black. skier folks and qualified to smirk I've skied more hills than any man from Frisco to New York but talking about the skiing I've done is my one and only quirk